Well, I don't know of any other way to start than by just praying. Father, uh, thank you so much for the ability that you have given to us, um, the privilege that we might uh, honor and call you worthy, Father God, worthy of our praises. Beyond measure, Father, there is no one like you. We are very honored to be a people, Father, that can openly praise you and thank you and worship you. We thank you for the men and women who are overseas, uh, giving of their time, some their lives, so as to keep the freedom that we have been so preciously given. I pray you'd watch over them. This is a terrible time in all of our lives of what is going on. Watch over them. and Father, most of all, we just want to praise you. I want to thank you for the music that you've uh, so graciously given to this church. Um, you are worthy to be praised without question, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. This particular place in Scripture, we're in the 12th chapter at the very end of the book of Acts. Uh, this is a very significant place in the Word of God. Um, it is the uh, ending of uh, a part that... Uh, that has taken us to this place. I'm kind of rambling. I don't know why. Uh, but we're going to take off in chapter 13. Saul, who, if you'll look at chapter 13, the ninth verse, we now begin to be able to call him Paul. And Saul uh, takes over, starting with chapter 13. And throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we see his missionary journeys. We see his ministry to churches and to people. And his just amazing love of the Lord. We end up, chapter 12, looking at, um, well, we're looking at Herod. We're seeing the tail end of Peter's ministry as far as written in the book of Acts until the 15th chapter, and then he is only briefly there for a moment. And we see the wonderful, wonderful ending of this, at least at this place, uh, of the of of the warrior Paul, I mean Peter's uh, ministry. Now, I've often heard um, when you talk to people of success, uh, whatever they might do, you, you often hear them say, well, I've learned from others. I've learned from those that were really brilliant and, and, and taught me the good things to do, but I also learned from those that were not so brilliant and learned, taught me what not to do. And that's the case today. We're going to take a look at Herod and see why Herod fell so sharply. His life was, uh, was a travesty, really. He knew better, just as we know better. But he denied the very essence of God. And so I guess if today's message would be um, titled, it would be, You Reap What You Sow, or... Um, be careful that you do not honor God with uh, your lives. Read with me, please, in Acts chapter 12, verses 18 to 25, the end of the chapter. Just before verse 18, as you well remember, Peter escaped from prison as the angel of the Lord came down, took his chains off of him, opened all the doors of the prison, and he left. And when he left, he went to Mary's house, and there they were praying for him, and, 
And remember we said last week, even though in their prayers of faithfulness to him, they, they couldn't believe the servant girl that that was Peter at the door. They said, no, you're out of your mind. And we saw from that that, that the, the New Testament saints, the, the first church, they, they're just like us, have moments of, of great faith and moments of uh, skepticism. And so we left Peter off there, and then he left because he didn't want anything to happen to them because he knew of Herod's ruthlessness. And so this is where we pick it up. After he had left, in verse 18, Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and he ordered that they be led away to execution. And then it says he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Verse 20 tells us, Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of God and not of a man. Verse 23 tells us, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, Herod, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But it says in verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Now there's... When I read this, I thought, wow, you know, you know well, I hope for those of you that come here, that I don't predetermine where we're going to be in Scripture and, and how it flows. I, I, I try to let the, the Lord move us along in, in His time and in His fashion. And so when I came to this place in Scripture, I thought, whoa, there's not a whole lot here. And it's the end of the, of the time of Peter, and it starts in chapter 13, the time of Paul. It would be well if I could... Uh, preach what is taking place here at the end of, of, uh, of Acts chapter 12. And I thought to myself as I read it, we've covered most of this. What else is there? And uh, <laughs> as last night might testify in the first service, I uh, went over a little bit. So there is something there to talk about. I, maybe it's my long-windedness. I'm not sure. But I learned a, a tremendous lesson as I kind of prayed over Kind of. I prayed a lot over what would, what would be said about this place in Scripture. It's just Herod. And it, it dawned on me that, that I need to learn from those that make mistakes. I can learn from them just as well as I can learn from those who are absolutely brilliant. And Herod is, in his own way, a good teacher. Teaching us that we need to honor God with our lives. And none of us are so old or so secure in our faith that we should not stop honoring our Lord with every breath that we take. Let me pray with you and let me try to put this into a sense. Dear Father, what should we learn? I believe the ending of this chapter 
will show us that you hold people responsible for the light that you bring into our lives. Herod fought against that, Father. May we not. Herod refused to give you glory, Father. May we never do that. May we be a people, Father, that honor you with our every, our every breath, if possible, dear Father. May we love you and may we worship you. As the song so aptly said, you are worthy of our praise. I pray, Father, that you would move me aside. Allow us to just concentrate on your words, concentrate on this place in Scripture, so that you might speak to us, each of us individually, as you so desire. We give you that here. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together. Thank you for the privilege of reading your words. Thank you for the privilege of studying, Father. Now, teach us, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Ultimately, Herod's faith is in his own hands. We should not be surprised when we see that Scripture says he died. He died a miserable, terrible death. We're going to learn, I believe, why. But Scripture says in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, that our sin will find us out. Can't hide. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Whatever a person sows, this is what that person will reap. And that is what has happened to Herod. Herod refused to give God the glory. Foolishly, Herod set himself against God. He knew better. He knew of Christ. He knew of all that was going on. And refusing to give God the glory, Herod guaranteed his own demise. Let's take a look again and see what happened in the prison after, after Peter escaped. It's very. Luke understates the moment. Luke says there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. The words, there was no small disturbance, was Luke's way of saying that the soldiers frantically turned the prison upside down searching for Peter. Because they knew their fate if Peter was truly gone. You see, they knew, just as the people knew, that Herod was a cold-blooded killer. And he would put them to death. They knew that the the consequence of them losing a prisoner, that whatever fate was to happen to him would fall upon their shoulders. Kind of kept them a little more attentive to watching over the prisoners. Look with me, please, at Acts chapter 16 for just a moment. In Acts chapter 16, Paul, Paul was in prison. There was an earthquake. When the earth quaked, all of the chains fell off of Paul and some of the prisoners, and the doors all flew open. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 27, when the jailer awoke, in other words, when this quake awoke him, he saw the prison doors opened, and he drew his sword and was about to do what? Kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul, verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice and said, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The reason he was going to kill himself is that he knew that if they escaped, he was going to die. And the death from the king would be far worse than by his own hand. So he drew his sword to kill himself. In Acts chapter 27, verse 42, you need not turn there, but you may if you wish. It's just one verse, but Paul again is on a ship. And the ship was on a way to a journey, and they hit really terrible seas. And, and the ship was being tossed and turned, and they were going to lose the ship. And, 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 and they, they thought that, that the prisoners maybe could swim to safety. Look what it says in verse 42 of, of Acts chapter 27. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. They were afraid to death that they might lose their life if they lost a prisoner that was sentenced to death. Now, back to Acts chapter 12 and verse 19. And as expected, bloodthirsty Herod killed them all. It says in verse 19, look, When Herod had searched for him, meaning Peter, and had not found him, he then examined the guards. And I can only imagine, just as you could, what took place. He probably got the guards together separately, asked them what happened. Whose fault was it? Are you blaming you know, Joe or Tom or Bill? Whose fault was it? And I'm certain that every single one of them said, I don't believe it's anyone's fault. All of a sudden, the guards that were sleeping between Peter found the chains unloosened. We don't know who loosened them. We, it would be impossible to figure that out. And then all the prison doors were open. This had to be a miracle. Herod, this had to be an act of God. To which it said, after he examined them, he ordered that they be led away to execution. Now, let's leave the last part of that verse alone because it's, it's almost bizarre in and of itself. If it wasn't for Josephus, the historian, some of this would be lost in what took place. But in the act of saying, let's... let's um, execute the guards, Herod was saying to Jerusalem and all the people there that he did not believe for an instant that Peter's escape was an act of God. What he was saying by executing the guards was saying it was man's fault. And so in so doing, he did not give God the glory for what took place in the life of Peter. He blamed the men. Then it says in verse 19, at the end of it, he went down from Judea to Caesarea, spending time there. Now, Josephus tells us that that was a common trip for Herod. Herod went to Caesarea because it was a a resort area on the Mediterranean. He went there for a vacation. That's what Josephus says. But most likely, in my opinion... He wanted to get away. He wanted to get away because of the public embarrassment of losing Peter. Now, in verse 20, we don't know why he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon either. It's not explained. All we know from that is that the people of Tyre and Sodom, with one accord, 
tried to find favor with Blastus, who was his chamberlain, and they asked for peace. Now, it's written here because their country was fed by the king's country. But the bottom line is, they are asking for peace because they're afraid of, to death of, of Herod. They too know that he was a ruthless man and would kill them at the drop of a hat. And so in verses 21 to 23, we see how Herod guarantees his fate before God. This takes place about a year after the escape of Peter. It's about 44 A.D. And it says in verse 21, look, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. Verse 22 tells us the people kept crying out, this is the voice of God, not of man. In other words, they're hailing him as deity. Now, I think, nobody says this, this is just worth the lint in my pocket. I think they're so afraid of Herod, they're saying, this guy's a god. I mean, you're a god, Herod. This isn't a voice of man, you're a voice of God. Praising him. Josephus tells us that Herod took all of this in and must have enjoyed, worse, began to believe what they were saying about him. Josephus makes a note in his historic chronicles of this moment in time in history. Herod did neither rebuke, nor did he reject their flattery over him. And so we are told in verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because... Note, he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Now that, I'm not going to get into that. But commentators do. They say there's a, there's, there was a, a, a disease at that time of, of, of a worm that would get into their system and would just literally eat away their, their innards. And the worm would, <laughs> I am getting into it. The worm would... <laughs> <laughs> the worm would grow. I mean, it would get enormous inside of him. Josephus says that Herod lingered for five days in great, great pain as this worm just was eating him from the inside out. There's one person that writes, and I wished I would have got his name. I copied it down. He wrote, No one is so empty as someone full of themselves. That's pretty good, isn't it? No one is so empty as someone full of themselves. And so he is killed there in the spot. He is killed because the Bible says clearly in verse 23, the angel struck him because he did not give God the glory. Hmm. Stop and think. How often do you thank God for what goes on in your life? How often do you take the time to just thank God? Unless you're a little bit inside of me. In 1 Thessalonians it says, I think it's 5.17, it says we are to pray how? Without, without ceasing. It's kind of a way of life for me. 
forgive me if that sounds pompous. I don't mean it to. But you know, if I'm driving and, and, I, and I didn't see a pothole in the road and I miss it, I thank the Lord. I just say, thank you, Father. Thank you. that it, I, I miss, thank you for that. Or if I drive into a place and there's a parking spot, Lord, thank you so much. Now, here's the deal. Why do I do that? What if I go to heaven and the Lord says to me, what's this with you thanking me for a parking? You think in your wildest dream I had someone leave that place just so that you could park? (laughs) But maybe he would say, but thank you for thanking me. Anyways, I would rather hear that than hear him say to me, you know how much trouble it took me to get that person to leave? (laughs) To get them to leave so that they could move their car so you could park your big behind right there near the place? I would rather have him say, thank you for thanking me. In the good as well as in the bad. And, And let's not be naive. Sometimes... You thank the Lord and the difficult things come your way just by faith. You know, I don't try to lie to the Lord because He knows my heart, right? And so I don't sit there and say, you know, thanks so much when inside I'm thinking, mm, you know. So I tell Him, mm, but thank you nonetheless, you know. I tell Him, Lord, just this is, it's bogged me down. This is too heavy sometimes for me to carry, but... Lord, thank you that you deem me worthy to carry it. And inside, I tell him, you know, I'm, I'm not really honest with all of this. I'm just doing this by faith. Because I want to make it a way of life in my life that I give God the glory for everything that happens in my life. And I didn't learn that from Herod, but Herod solidifies the fact that that's the way that you and I ought to live our lives. To give God the glory in everything that we do. So, back to to chapter 12. I hope, well, let me just say this again. I hope if you learn nothing else from this morning, that that might be something that you will take with you as you leave. To give God glory for all the things that you do. To literally pray without ceasing. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just in the quietness of your heart thank Him. Now, amidst all of this pomp and and majesty of Herod, we find his problem. And Josephus allows us to see it. It says in verse 21, On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal robe, or excuse me, royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. Now, we learn another thing. Josephus says that... that Herod was a, was a really a great orator. And so, for them to exclaim the voice of God and not of man, he was a man that could really speak well. But Josephus also was there, it appears, at that moment. Because he says, this is the apparel, this is the wardrobe of Herod. Josephus writes, it was a bright morning, And Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver. From his hat to his robe or whatever he was wearing was totally silver. The theater was an amphitheater, was outdoors. 
And he shows up early in the morning at the rising of the morning sun and his silver silver garment, Josephus wrote, became illuminated by the bright morning sun. And so if you can picture it, here's this guy standing before the people with the sun shining off of him back on them and they're thinking, this is a God, this guy. And he is soaking that all in and not giving God the glory. And in this bright morning sun, Herod suffered a humiliating death. Thus ending the reign and the life of a man who had dared to deliberately persecute God's church and two that we know of here of God's chosen apostles, James and Peter. And so we are told, very simply, but very purely, in verse 23, he died because he did not give God the glory. You see, he knew better. He knew of the Son of God. He rejected Him. I want you to turn to a place in Scripture that um, is very important to me. Look at Romans chapter 1, please. Romans is just to the right, just about ten pages And you'll come to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 18. Starting with verse 18 in Romans, we see the consequences of not honoring God. Look and read what God says about those who choose to reject Him and His Son. Read with me. It's amazing. Absolutely, utterly amazing. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Men and women, that's mankind. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because, look at verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. There is absolutely no one on the face of this great earth in which we live that can say they don't know God. It is just practical knowledge. If you and I live for any length of time and see the the universe in which we live, in the evening, the stars, the moon, in the morning, the sun arises, same thing day after day after day. We see the order of this earth in which we live. We've got to come to the consequence, or excuse me, we've got to come to the understanding that somebody far greater than us put this all here. And to try to reason that a big bang happened and all of a sudden all of this is in order is insanity. God has made it evident to everyone who walks the face of this earth that He is there. Now watch. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are what? People who have rejected Him are without excuse. This earth in which we live demonstrates that there is someone far greater than us who has put all of this here and put us here as well. And so people who reject that, they are, the Bible says, without excuse. Now, for, verse 21, 
even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God, nor did they give Him thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart became darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. The Bible says in Psalms 14.1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So professing to be wise, they became fools. What did they do in verse 23? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of either corruptible man, that's Herod, or birds, or four-footed animals, or crawling creatures. In other words, they started worshiping things instead of God. And so in verses 24 and 26 and 28, there's a progression. Each one, each, each statement there in those three verses gets worse. That was a bad way of explaining that. But look, look at verse 24. It says, therefore, God gave them over. Look at 26. For this reason, in other words, this is amped up. It gets worse. For this reason, God gave them over. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. Let's see what God, by the way, that's not a place that you and I ever want to be. That God would say enough with us and give us over to our desires and our passions and our whatever it is that we have that takes His place. Let's see what happens. And watch and see if you cannot see our society in which we live today. Watch. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Once they did this for a length of time and refused to give God glory, verse 26 kicks in. For this reason... God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Oftentimes you hear, does the Bible speak about homosexuality or lesbianism. And I say to you, when those preachers hear that and they're in public and they gulp because they want to be politically correct and don't tell people the truth, listen, does God love us all? You bet. God loves everybody. But God hates any sin that you and I do. And we are well to find out what is sin in our lives and try to, with all our hearts, to stop. And so God gave them over. And they received within their own bodies the due penalty of their error. And then in verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Listen, that hits my heart so badly. When I was a young man, I'll finish reading this in a moment. When I was a young man, and I, I left college to play baseball. I signed a baseball contract. I was raised by two people who were not believers, 
but were as moral a people as I've ever met. I mean, my dad, if my dad told you he'd be there, if, unless he was on his deathbed and couldn't get up, he would be there. If he made a promise to you, my father would fulfill it. You didn't need a contract. You didn't need anything. You just need a shake of his hand. Or just really his word, I'll be there. And so when I left school to play ball, I was pretty much straight and narrow. Pretty much didn't do much. But the further I got away from home, I started doing a little bit more. And, and with each passing year, it, it got worse. So much so, one year I came back for Thanksgiving to spend with my family. And it was a really typical. My mom cooked a great meal. We all just had a ball. And, and, and I just, just loved being with my family. It was perfect, you know. And after the meal was over, my dad says, Come on, let's go outside in the backyard for a moment. I say, sure, Dad. So I go out in the backyard, and we take a few steps, and he looks at me, and he says, since when do you start swearing in front of your mother? I said, never. I would not do that. He said, you swore four times during the meal. I didn't even know it, folks. I didn't even know it was coming out of my mouth. It became such a pattern of my life that I didn't even know I offended my dad and my mom at that meal. My dad was 5'8". Never got any taller. But to me, he was 6'8". And my dad looked at me and he says, Don't you ever dishonor your mother again. And I was always deathly afraid of my father. Not that he would beat me up, but just out of respect. I loved him so much. And I begged him to, you know, I said, Gee, I'm sorry, I didn't even know. He says, Don't, don't do it again. You see, you get to a place in your life, if you're not careful, we start living the very opposite of what you want to be. Now I want to read to you the rest of these, these verses in this chapter to see if you do not think this is where our society is today. And I mean not here just in America, but all over the world. Read these things. Make a judgment in your own heart about this world in which we live. God kept giving them over, giving them over, giving them over to the place where they denied that He was even, that He even existed. And by the way, I don't know about you, but that was the most comfortable feeling I had when I was in Hawaii and not before I became a Christian. I reasoned in my heart that there was no God. And the reason, I knew why I reasoned in my heart there was no God. I reasoned in my heart there was no God because I knew that if there was a God, that I'm going to hell. If there is a hell. And I tried to pretend that there was no heaven, no hell. You die, it's over with. So let's eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. And I reasoned that in my heart because deep within my innermost being, I knew better. Watch what they do. Watch what they do. It says, verse 28, I'll read it again. Just as they did not see and fit to acknowledge God any longer or give Him... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Here's the things that are not proper. They're being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. I ask you, is that not in the society in which we live today? At least for me, I see it as right, right online. What's happening in our world today? People are evil, lovers of themselves, boastful, envious. And it says in verse 32, Although they knew the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. My last years in playing sports, before I became a Christian, I moved from that guy that was pretty straight-laced when he left home to a guy that would fool around and just kind of carouse around. But not only did I want to carouse around, I wanted to find guys on the team that would go with me. And I wanted to find especially the guys that didn't carouse around much so I could teach them how to have fun. And by the way, I was in Hawaii, and anyone that tells you that sin isn't fun is a liar. They should have been with me in Hawaii. Sin was fun for a season. And I used to try to get guys to do the same thing I was doing. Come on, loosen up. You know, have some fun. You only live once. Those types of things. Verse 32 broke my heart when I read it some years ago. Although they knew the ordinances of God, I knew better. That those who practice such things are worthy of death, I knew I was going to die. I knew. I knew there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. I just denied it because I didn't want to think about it. Then I got to the point that I not only did the same, but I gave hearty approval to those who also practiced them. And see, that's, that's Herod to a T. And it started with him not giving God the glory. And believer, Christians, you who are here today, I say to you, make it a practice in your life if you so desire to thank Him for everything. To be a person that understands the principle of praying without ceasing. I'm not saying you need to pray out loud. I don't need to say it. It'd be long. It's just maybe a thank you, Lord. You know, you drive in a car and there's, there's a guy that swerves in front of you and, 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 and you, thanks, Lord, that, that I wasn't up there and, and got sideswiped by him. You know, just a simple thing that you can say. Just a constant awareness of God in our lives so that we can be a people that pray without ceasing, and honor Him with our lives and giving Him the glory that He so richly deserves. Isaiah 42.8 says this. I Listen, you don't need to turn and listen to God's words. And feel the strength of it. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And I will not give my glory to another. I will not give my praise to graven images. You and I ought to learn a great lesson, and that is to praise God all the time. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 12 and close it up. And look with me at, at verse 24. It's, again, what we see in verse 24 is what the Lord has been, I want to say, teaching us. I want to say, making us come to realization of over and over again. We see in verse 24 the sovereign will of God at work. 
as God's sovereignty cannot be denied, despite the furious opposition of Herod and men like him, we see from verse 24 that it says purely and simply this, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. You see, our call in life as a church, our call in life as a people is to promote the Word of God, to allow the Word of God within our lives to flourish, to grow, to multiply. You see, God's Word rules. I know I say it almost all the time, and I understand that I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that I say to you, this must be taught. In this church, in every church that opens its doors, and any church that opens its doors and doesn't teach the Word of God is, is an anathema to our Lord. And we're going to see that next, next week when we get into chapter 13. Paul really makes it clear. You think I harp on it. Where do we listen to Paul? And the reason I believe that I say over and over again that we must be a church, all churches must be a church that preach the Word of God because it is only through this, the Word of God, that it will penetrate your and my heart and God will allow His Word to accomplish what He desires to do in your life as well as your life and in your life as well as in your life and your life and your life and your life and He will work separately with every one of us here. His Word does that. And here's the example to me. Example A. Last week, I believe it was after this service or the service, just before, I cannot remember, a person came to me from, uh, let's, just in case that person might still be here, let's, let me just change, but, but it was from the Bay Area, I'll say that much. It was from the Bay Area. And they came to me and they said, you know, I've been wrestling in my mind what to do. And your service answered my, my dilemma. And I said, well, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. They said, I know that. I know that. And I said, what do you mean? So, well, at our church, we've been a Bible-driven church for my whole life there. I, I love our church. A year ago or so, the pastor came and announced to us that we will now become a, she went, purpose-driven church. He said, seeker-friendly, I think he called it. And he announced to us that go to this church that we don't no longer need to bring our Bibles to church because, he said, we don't want to offend those that are visiting that come to church and are not believers to make them feel out of place. And so we will not teach this anymore. We'll kind of teach principles about the Bible. And she said, I've been wondering what to do because she said, I've got dear, dear friends there. I am knee-deep in that church. And she says, what do you think I ought to do? I didn't want to answer that for her. I said to her, what do you think the Lord's saying to you to do? She says, I, uh, I know what He wants me to do. And I said, what? She says, He wants me to leave. And I said, quickly. I said, here's what you ought to do. Uh, you ought to go back to your pastor and tell him you love him. You ought to go back to your pastor and thank him for all the years that he taught you on the Word of God. And then you ought to ask him, are you going to stop teaching this? And if he answers yes, then you ought to say to him, thank you, but I'm leaving. 
Because you can't be in a church that doesn't teach the Word of God. It's going against everything the apostles, well, everything that the Lord taught, the apostles who taught us. Jesus said to them, this is what I want you to tell the people. And we read about it in the book of Acts. Paul, Peter, excuse me. Peter said to the people, I want you to be continually devoted to the things of God. That is, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to communion, and to prayer. That's church. Church is built upon those four essence of church. And then the rest, the things that we do, like the the young people that are meeting and the programs that we have, those are just things we do to help us get grounded in the Word. You see, if you come here and you're in this this, um, service and you don't show up for a few weeks, there might be none of us that know it. We just lose you in the crowd. You get into a small group and you miss one time and they'll ask you, where are you all right? Where have you been? What can we do? Can we pray for you? What's going on? And that's accountability. And that's the, that's the purpose of a church, to be, make us accountable to one another. But the church is driven by the Word of God. And the Word of God will not come back void. And so what do we see? We see clearly Herod died, but the church flourished. You see, Jesus Christ told His disciples, upon this rock, meaning upon Himself, I will build My church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. There's no persecution that will stop God's movement. God wants us to be a people that love His Word. God wants us to be a people who honor Him. He wants you to be a person that glorifies Him in all that you do, in all that you say, in everything that you are. And to give Him thanks. And to give Him glory for what He does in your life. If you leave for no other reason today, I pray that you leave with the thought of thanking Him. Thanking Him. Not only for the good things. Thank Him for the difficult things that come your way. The Bible says we will grow, mature in that area. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, please, please bless these dear people, myself included, Father. Allow us, Father, to glorify your most holy and majestic name. May we, may we give you glory and may we learn from Herod who, who had the angel come and strike him because he didn't give you glory. It's as simple as that. Let us take this day and from this day forward be a person who glorifies and thanks you for all things that go our way. That we would be aware of you all day long. So Lord, bless this time. Bless these dear people here. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church with them. I love them so much, Father. Love them so much, Father. I love them so much, Father. I thank you for the privilege of being here with them. In Jesus' precious name, amen.